Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a great guest on here today, Kurt Belding, Western Obsession TV. I'm sure you guys have seen Kurt's stuff on one of the social media platforms. Seems like he's all over the place all the time. Kurt, how are you doing today? I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for thanks for coming on. So I've got to start because I I honestly don't know your background story of how you got to be where you are today. So I mean, like, let's start early on. Where did you start hunting at an early age? Was it something later in life? Like, I, what drew you to want to be in this industry? Yeah, I think I think my how I got hunting story is pretty similar to a lot of people where their their parents hunted so my my dad and my mom hunted so i grew up in a hunting family i remember trapping with my dad when i was real little you know just being able to walk have pictures of him with like uh, some lynx cats and stuff and he did it for a living back then where you can kind of make a living trapping so i got introduced to hunting and trapping and that outdoor lifestyle real early on as a kid continued to do it i grew up in nebraska um, you know, so whitetail, turkey, pheasant was pretty big. Grew up hunting in Nebraska. And um, I kind of got out of it while I was in college. So I went to college at, uh, in Nebraska, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. And I think I got into more of, I played a lot of sports. So I got into sports mm-hmm. and girls and the college scene for a while. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, Mark. So did you have bird dogs when you grew up too? You know, we never had a bird dog. I don't think my parents wanted to take care of a dog. So yep. we just kind of did it like the old school walking through fields and hoping to kick something up kind of way. And I don't know what it is about you guys in Nebraska. You never want to leave, right? Like you ever, you ever picture yourself leaving Nebraska? <laughs> you know, man, I just, I, I felt kind of deep down inside me that I just didn't quite fit. 100% with the Nebraskan culture. Uh-huh. So I always kind of had that inclining that I, I just didn't quite fit. Um, so I ended up moving to Colorado 
early in my 20s. So okay. I, I think I was like 23 and I moved to Colorado. And that's where you call home today? And that's where I call home today. I've been living here in Colorado for, uh, shit, I'll be 43, so 20 years almost. And, uh, I mean, this is, so obviously our, our WTA's headquarters is based in Sydney, Nebraska. And I'm always amazed by talking to everybody in the office, and I don't know why it still still shocks me, but you're right, you're right here too. Now you got to remember, I'm an East Coast guy, way over in Michigan, right? So West Coast, or Western hunting is a long ways, long drive for me to get anywhere yeah. over there. And I yeah. always hear those guys talking about, yeah, I get to go deer hunting. I'm going to hunt Kansas, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Colorado, and then I'm going to go elk hunt Wyoming and in Colorado. I'm going to go antelope hunting in Wyoming, Colorado, Nebraska. And you just hear all the, and I'm going to go waterfall hunting. I'm going to go pheasant hunting. It's all right there within a couple hour drive of yeah. just the, in Colorado is one of those States, like the, uh, the hunting opportunities in there. Now they're, they're draws like the most of them are, are draws that you're putting in for, but just the hunting opportunities that Colorado has as a state is pretty cool. And then the surrounding States where you can go and get an over the counter tag and so forth too. Yeah, it's, you know, there's definitely a lot of opportunity. It is draw. Uh, right now it's over-the-counter archery elk and over-the-counter, uh, you can get some over-the-counter rifle elk um, permits that you can hunt elk every year, which is very cool. I think that's that might be changing this year. That's probably another, another topic for another that's what, time. That's what I heard. That's what I heard, too. Yep. 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 Um, but, you know, I actually, I, I felt it was easier to hunt while I was living in Nebraska versus Colorado, just for the fact that I can, I grew up in a real small town in Nebraska, about a thousand people. And I grew up on a, a cattle farm. And I, I, if I wanted to go hunting, whether it be bird, deer, mm -hmm. whatever, I just jumped out my back door and went walking or took a little short drive. And I was hunting living in Colorado. I live just right outside the city. I'm, I'm in Parker, Colorado on a little acreage in order for us to go hunting. I either got to drive into the mountains, which could take hour and a half to two hours or, go east and you know get some permission on some private mm -hmm. land to do do some hunting so the the barrier of entry was actually easier in nebraska obviously i'm not hunting elk in nebraska yep. unless you know you've drew that drew a that real nice tag out in the, the western part of the state yeah so after college moved to colorado what did you do and was there anything you did in between before you kind of got into the hunting industry was there any in between jobs before you before you stepped in yeah you know I, I've always kind of been, I guess, I've always said that an entrepreneur is just born. I don't know if there's entrepreneurs that you just, like, wake up one day and decide that I want to be an entrepreneur today. I think you're just kind of born that way. You have that in your genetics, and I was definitely born that way. Um, so from early on, I always kind of was drawn to wanting to do things myself. So in college, I had a, a my own, like, little construction slash roofing company that I would I would do and get, get jobs to pay for books and pay for my, my rent and tuition or whatever I need to pay for. Um, so fast forward, I moved to Colorado. I'm in, I'm, I'm pretty big into fitness. I like the sports industry. Um, I got into the sports nutrition industry. My brother owned a GNC at the time and was doing really, really well. So I ended up buying a couple GNCs in Colorado here in Denver. Okay. Uh, when I moved here. And I just kept running in that industry. So from probably the time I was like 23, 24 is when I owned my first real business. And I've been in the sports nutrition industry until I was 40. So almost 20 years in the sports nutrition in industry. 
doing a lot of things. Like I, I franchised uh, a retail chain called Fit Republic at one point. Uh, we opened up like 20 some stores. I did manufacturing for three lines of sports nutrition. I did a meal prep company. I was an outfitter, had my own outfitting business. So I always still kind of had hunting in my back pocket. Um, a lot of other businesses, I own a gym. So I've, I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years, and this has been a little bit of a change for me coming to work for you and WTA this last year. It was definitely a, a little bit of a shift. Well, that's, a, I mean, I didn't know all this background stuff. I got so many questions now. So you're still owning a gym today, right? <laughs> I still do. I own a, I'm a part owner of a CrossFit gym here in Aurora, Colorado. Okay. Okay. And when you got, explain the, explain the starting up of an outfitter. Cause you just kind of breeze through that. Like it was no big deal. So what, what state was that? What state was that in? And what were you going for? It was here in Colorado. Okay. Um, so here's kind of how that got started. Sorry. I'm like an onion, Mark. You got to get, you just got to keep peeling, peeling the layers. layers, peel the layers. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got back into, I, I kind of took a break from hunting in my early twenties. And as I moved out here to Colorado, I obviously knew, man, the mountains, elk, moose, mm-hmm. I, I got to get back into this hunting scene so the barrier of entry of learning how to elk hunt in Colorado was pretty steep. I tried it for a few years, but coming from whitetail where it's ambush hunting tree stands, you know, that whole thing to, all right, now we have tens and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of, of elk hunting opportunity. How do I start? Where do I get started? Yep. And for the first couple of years, I'm just stumbling through the woods, just hoping that I run into an elk, <laughs> you know? So I was not doing very well. I ended up hiring an outfitter. I went to the, the Sportsman's Expo here in Colorado, met a couple of guys, hired an outfitter, went on an elk hunt. And the, the whole goal there was to learn as much as I could learn about elk hunting in the five days that I went with these guys. Made some really good relationships, some really good friends that I'm still friends with today. And to, and then just kind of fast forward a couple of years, I ended up buying that outfit from that guy and owning my own outfitter. And I actually just I had that for five or six years and I just sold that this last year to be able to free up some time to do some other things that I love. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what did you learn over your time of being an outfitter? I learned that it was a people game mm-hmm. and not necessarily a hunting game that you had definitely had some really good people skills. It was giving someone the the adventure that they wanted or the experience that they wanted and obviously giving them opportunity on animals that they wanted to. But it, it really wasn't about, hey, let's go kill this trophy animal that we're after. It was more of the experience and, and building relationships. That's what I learned. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. If you can get them in the right, get them in the right area, right? A lot of people can do that. Um, but it's about really connecting. Like you'd be shocked. And you, and you know, this from being an outfitter for so long is the connections that are made on a hunt between a, between a guide packer hunter, like all those, all those people last for years and years and years. Right. Like I'm sure there's lots of people that you talk to almost on a weekly basis now that have hunted with you in the past. Yeah. 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 And I've said that many times is, uh, if you really want to bond with someone and, and become friends with them, go hunting with them. You either become best friends or you'll hate each other. (laughs) <laughs> exactly one way or the other it's going to go one way or the other <laughs> exactly exactly so on uh the fit republic so is it when when you did the fit republic was that something that you you just started and then is was that a gym concept or what was that 
Yeah, that was something that I created. Um, it was a sports nutrition concept. So I was a GNC franchisee. And so I was, I owned a couple GNCs here in, in Colorado. And as internet sales prevailed and became more popular, mm-hmm. I, I saw GNC on a decline and I felt like, man, I, my hands were just kind of tied as a franchisee. And, and I will admit I was that knucklehead franchisee that thought I could do things better myself. Mm-hmm. And so I branched off, I, I bounced out of GNC and I created fit Republic and I realized real quick that, oh my God, what did I get myself into? This was very hard. Yep. <laughs> being being the franchisor was a lot harder than what I thought. But I figured it out and um, I franchised quite a few stores everywhere from obviously here in Colorado to Nebraska to uh, Missouri, even like Nashville, Tennessee. We had a store there. So I was all over. Um, franchise out a bunch of bunch of stores and sports nutrition retail stores, so similar to a GNC, but uh, kind of my own spin on it, my own concepts on it. Okay. And how many? How long did you do that for? I did that for fifteen years. Um, I did the I did Fit Republic since two thousand eight, so that was eighteen. So yeah, about fifteen years with Fit Republic. And I learned a tremendous amount about myself, about people, about business, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, and just went through the entire roller coaster of that thing. Because, you know, I grew up in a very blue collar family. My my family was is not like we're very poor growing up. Um, so it's not like I had funding or backing from my family. So I, I literally created my business venture, my franchise, all everything that I did, I created from scratch from mm-hmm. nothing. So I had to get really good at figuring out how to be successful on stretching that penny into a dollar somehow and being very good at like br- making success without having money. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing you played, you obviously said you played sports, you play sports in college. Yeah, I played baseball in college. I was always pretty big into sports. So in high school, I, I did the four main sports that we offered at my little school, which is football, baseball, track, and basketball. Mm-hmm. And then um, went on to play college baseball there in Lincoln. That's awesome. And, I, yeah. and that's where the, the fitness kind of was there all along, it sounds like, right? Yeah, that's kind of where it started is, you know, camaraderie, like the team sport um, environment mm-hmm. and then also like you, uh, you gotta work out and stay fit for those whatever athletic sport i was in at the time so that's kind of where it started and i really like the feeling and like the concept or the idea of pushing my body further than what i think i can mm-hmm. and seeing how far i can really push my physical ability um and just really push that limit which which now plays right into how I like to hunt. So I love that backpacking, physical, you know, archery elk hunt type of hunt. Pushing your body and your mind. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. So as you, I mean, I, I love talking to entrepreneurs, one, because I, I, I have the same bug, right? Like I love yeah. to dabble in a lot of, a lot of things. Most of them are in the hunting industry. I've got some that aren't in the hunting industry. Um, like just ex- explain to everybody that's listening, like, what does it truly mean to be an entrepreneur, though? Right. Like starting it in, right. in the time commitment and the energy and, and everything that goes into being an entrepreneur and starting a business and, and for you, starting multiple businesses. 
Hey everyone, just wanted to drop in and remind you of some important tag deadlines we have coming up. The state of New Mexico has their all species on March 22nd, and Wyoming has their bison on March 31st. Make sure to give the team at WTA a call and get applied. Yeah, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's hard to explain because I, I'll go back to what I had said before is I feel like true entrepreneurs are, are born that way. Like mm-hmm. people ask me, Hey, why, why, when I was definitely owning all these businesses, like, why do you do this? And I told them, I don't have a choice. This is how I was born. And to be honest with you, if I had a choice, I would probably not choose this. (laughs) 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 But I felt like, you know, this is who I am. So this is what I do. Um, Now, let's just say that you have a nine to five and you're typically that's been what you've done for most of your life. And you decide you want to start your own business and be, you know, quote unquote, an entrepreneur. And I think people have entrepreneur tendencies. I think it's it's more difficult for someone that's not born with those genetics to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I think you'll struggle more. But it's pretty much giving up that eight-hour job mm-hmm. to work for yourself for 16 hours a day. Double your work, but it's for yourself. Mm-hmm. Everything you do is for yourself, and you're creating your own money. It's it's no longer every two weeks or whatever you get a this check in your bank account. And as long as you're making your employee happy, employer happy, that's going to continue to happen. Yep. It's now you have to create your own money. And how are you going to do that? It, it takes a lot of, uh, man, self perceptions really big is how you perceive yourself yep. if, is how you're going to be successful, but it takes a lot of dedication, a lot of discipline, and you have to understand the, the emotional roller coaster that comes from being an entrepreneur that you're going to have lots of highs and lots of lows in the beginning that roller coaster is really steep, really fast, and really short together. But as you get more experience in entrepreneurship, be more a veteran, those highs aren't as high, the lows aren't as low, yep. and those that roller coaster isn't quite as scary and, and emotional draining anymore. But man, Mark, I could talk all day about entrepreneurship, man. <laughs> uh, listen, I love it. I love it too, right? Like it's like I was I was just talking to somebody else here before we hopped on, and and I'm like. Yeah, what would my day look like yesterday, right? Up at six, work for an hour before I got my kids off to school, back, work from basically eight until three. Then I had to take off. I coached um, at our high school, so I was away game. So from three until, um, what was it, got to school, took off at four, four to five, we were on the bus, coached from five, back at 10, work from 10 to about 11.30, went to sleep, right? Like that's a normal day. And for me, I don't know if I'd have it any other way. Like you can't do that every day. So I try to take a day and, and like my wife and I will go out, like I, I make a, make a point if the schedule allows to like go out and have your alone time and so forth. But yeah. I mean, the majority of the days, like that's a normal day. And I look at, okay, what am I giving up to do that? I'm giving up TV, right? Scrolling on yeah. TikTok, um, yes. hanging out at a bar. Like what, what am I truly giving up to be, to do that and control my own destiny? And, and truly I get kind of like my, like everybody talks about getting a high from working out, right? Like I get a high from working out. I get a high from, from being a, a successful entrepreneur too, of starting something from literally nothing, just a, nothing. a concept and an idea. And it takes a heck of a lot of hard work in it, a lot of luck, right people along the way to join that dream and, and then growing it into something, right? But then you look back at it and you're like, that literally a year and a half ago was nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. And then looking at where it's selling or what it's doing a year and a half later, you're like, man, I started that. I did that. And then you look back yeah. and I want to do it again. 
And now I want yeah. to do it again and again and yeah. again and again. And that's, that's, I think that's the addictive part of it. Right. But I fully agree yeah. that not everybody, it, it's not everybody's born with it. I always looked at yeah. it like I got it because my dad was an entrepreneur. He started up um, his own business and was extremely successful in it. And I'm like, was it just because I grew up and I saw what him and my mother did along the way to make that successful? I saw that they got to control their own destiny. And, and man, there were hard times. There were great times. There were there was all this. Was it because I got to see that or what was it? But yeah, like I was the one in college that was just questioning, right? Like you're in a business class and you're just always asking the question. Yeah. But what about at the beginning? Like you're always talking about what happens when it's fully operational, how to get to be that part. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. It's very rewarding starting having, there's nothing, not one person is using that service or product. And then, you know, three years later, you've created something that's helping people or, mm -hmm. you know, that's actually, you're giving, you know, you're creating jobs for someone that's giving them a living. It can be very rewarding. And I think that the concept that I think me and you probably buy into really big is we're going to die one day. Mm -hmm. Our life's going to end. And as we look back upon our life, I would like to make sure that my life, I felt fulfilled in my life and felt that I utilized every second of my life to create my life how I wanted it to be. And, and that could go, that could happen in many aspects and avenues of life. It could be family, relationships, friendships. You know, that goes to every aspect of life, but it also goes into an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial world of, you know, I want to maximize my stamp on this world. And I want to, you know, for you, you get addicted to um, starting something from nothing and seeing that progress. Mm -hmm. Now you want to say, how, how big of impact can I have in the world? How many, how big of an impact can I have on other people? And, and how many people can I help? You know, cause we're going to die one day. Yep. It's I coming. Know, I don't want to look back and regret it. Right. Yep. It's coming. Can't, can't yep. fight it, but you can, you can live your life as, as the way you want for as long as you can, but it's coming. Absolutely. No, I think that's a, and that's, I'm sure you're the same way, but that's a big part why I work out so much, right? Like you want to live your, I want to be as active in my life for as long as I can. Like last year, dad, mm -hmm. dad and I were on a stone sheep hunt in, in British Columbia, unsuccessful, bad weather, yada, yada. But my dad was 75 on a backpack stone sheep hunt wow. in the middle of nasty weather, right? Like a straight backpack hunt, just hiking for nine days at 75. That is awesome. Like, he, like that hunt was over and like, just like any hunt, like you wish it was successful, but then you look back and you have the memories of it. And I'm like, man, the takeaway is my dad's 75 and he's out here carrying his own pack, hiking up the mountain. I can't complain. Yeah. I can't complain about anything. Like, yeah, my feet, are my, I can't, I can't say that. I got like, I got man up, right? Like you see your dad yeah. doing that at 75. And then after that, I'm like, I want to do that at 75 because I want to be that yeah. active. I want to be that healthy. You know, that's, that is absolutely fantastic. And which leads me to one of as an experience I had that changed a big perception of mine is I was guiding these two guys elk hunting and one was 72 and the other one was 69. And I was a little bit nervous because they were older. I had horseback them in, but they were in amazing shape. They absolutely destroyed the mountain. And my perception before that was, man, I don't know how many years I have to be able to hunt the way that I want to hunt that physical type of hunt. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, I thought, you know, maybe when I'm 50, I'll have to slow down 60, probably won't be able to, but these guys were doing it at 70 years old. So I realized, all right, 
it's possible and i have a lot of years left of hunting the way i want to hunt and my goal now is i want to be able to do that backpack that stone sheep hunt like your dad Mm -hmm. at you know 75 80 years old that's that's definitely one of my big goals yep because that also means that if you could do that at 75 health wise you're in a good spot at 75 right like you've lived that's a, right. and it's a lot, it's a lot better life. If, if you can live it healthy than, than not. Right. Like it's just, that's it's right. better. I can get up every day and be active. Yep. Yep. On hundred percent. That means everything is, as you've done well, yep. if you're on a stone sheep hunt at 75, you're doing some things right. Yep. He, he <laughs> lived a good life for 75 years. Yep. Yeah. So, so how did, how did through everything so far that we've covered, where did the idea of, of Western obsession TV come from? And then, then we're going to dig into everything that's underneath it, which seems like a ton, but where, at what step did that idea come? Yeah. So, um, in 2019, I went on an elk hunt and at this point I had all my businesses and one of the businesses I had was a, um, production company. I had videographers and photographers to be able to create commercials and assets for my existing companies. Rather than like, I'm a big advocate and, and I, I see that you are also Mark of, I, I'd rather do it myself than hire a third party to do it. Yep. If I need it, I'll create the company and it'll be mine. Yep. yep. <laughs> right. Yep. So that's what I did with that. And I went on this, this elk hunt and I thought, you know what, let me bring one of these guys along with me to film it and let's have a lot of fun with it. So I went on this elk hunt and it, and it was a roller coaster hunt, pretty emotional ups and downs, killed an elk nice bull about 320 bull is a rifle hunt and i you know we put it together and i put it out on social media just for fun and, and got some really good really good attention with it and get some good remarks and people really enjoyed it mm-hmm. well a guy hit me up that used to have a show on the sportsman's channel and he's like hey what are you going to do with this and i'm like i don't know i'm just messing around and having fun he's like i think we need to start a hunting show and and produce it and do the whole works and i said well shoot that sounds amazing let's yeah. do it I'll have fun with it. And we started it. And that was, I think I was 39. And, uh, so we started doing it and I fell in love with it and got super addicted to hunting and filming my hunts. Um, so now I can't go on a hunt without some kind of documentation, <laughs> Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, and, and I take my daughter out hunting and sometimes she gets frustrated with me because I'm messing with the camera rather than like, trying to make sure we get on the animal correctly. Right. So yeah. she gets frustrated. Um, but since then, you know, and here's the, I guess here's the big pivot in my life is I hit 40 and I realized that, that my life isn't exactly the way I wanted it to be. I have a lot of businesses. It's very demanding upon my life. There's a lot of stress in my life and I really love being, I wanted to go on more adventures. I wanted to go on more hunting adventures specifically because mm-hmm that's what I really enjoyed. So at 40 years old, I'm not going to call it a midlife crisis. I'm going to call it a midlife adjustment. So I made a big adjustment and I ended up selling and either selling or closing all of my companies or most of them. I still have small ownership in that CrossFit gym and, and decided to take my retirement early. So use that money to create Western obsessions. And basically I've been retired for the last three years and recently uh, got picked up by you guys at WTA and um, are, is, and I'm trying to apply some of the skills that I learned o- over these last, you know, 20 years of entrepreneurship to WTA. And mm-hmm. that's, but what's really cool about WTA is like, you guys are super flexible and it's all about hunting. You guys are just like me. 
Well, you know, I found my tribe, so I get to go on hunts and still live my dream and my passion of adventure, but having some security there with WTA too. So it's very cool. Yeah. No, I mean, that's I literally tell everybody, what do you do all day? Well, most days I just talk about hunting and that's, <laughs> and that's, that's just work related, right? Like I just talk about yeah. hunting all day. So there are a lot of worse things to, to be able to do during the day than that. So yeah. over the last three years, since you've started it, like, when you started it, what vision did you have in mind? Well, I had just started um, realizing that there were shows on YouTube mm-hmm. that that were hunting shows. I, real, I realized that the linear, the old you know, Sportsman's Channel, Outdoor Channel, mm-hmm. wasn't the only place to be and watch hunting content. So um, I really enjoyed the YouTube part of it, and I enjoyed what those guys were doing, more of like a raw kind of like a vlog style hunt. So I, I kind of started doing something similar to that. Um, you know, I did put, I do have my show on waypoint TV and carbon TV, but I, I realized that older style of filming was kind of getting out of dated, um, or it was going to be outdated. And so I started kind of putting more eggs in the basket of digital, whether it be YouTube, carbon waypoint, more digital streaming stuff. And I think that's where most people are now consuming their content is on a, a digital platform of some sort. That you can get it when you want it, where you want it. That, that, yeah. like that there's, a, there's a lot of benefits to the digital versus the linear. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of break it down into, I don't know if this is politically correct, I break it down into age brackets, right? So if you're mm-hmm. an older hunter and you're, and you're consuming, I say older 60, 60 plus, right? Probably still on the linear because that's what you've grown up with. Maybe yep. watching some digital. Now you're in that 60 to 50. Okay. I'm probably doing a little bit of both. I'm watching some linear. I'm also, you know, I'm watching a little bit of YouTube, not fully invested. That 50 to 40. Now, okay, I'm 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 a digital guy, right? I'm I'm picking mm-hmm. it up. I'm on YouTube. I'm I'm on the different platforms online that are streaming shows. Um, I'm also probably on Facebook and a little bit of Instagram. Now, if I'm 30, 30 to 20, I'm on the on the Instagram, I'm on YouTube like that. I've grown up with it. That's me. Yeah. I, I probably yeah. don't even watch linear TV. I don't even, some of them don't even know what it is. And then 20 below, it's like, it's even a different platform, right? It's not even Instagram now anymore. Now it's a different platform before that. Like I always tell um, my daughter who's 13 and, and her friends like, yeah, something on Instagram. And they look at me like, oh, the old person app. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a second. No, that's not old. That's not an old person app. It's what all the kids are using. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's what the kids were using, you know, five years ago. Now, now it's one of those things that yeah. is the older person app. But it's yeah. funny how that how that all transitions, right? Like every every year, every couple of years, it's it's aging demographics changes what how consumption yeah. is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's been interesting recently where I've seen even my um, my stepfather, which is in his sixties, is on TikTok. And he loves watching TikTok. And I, and I was like, man, and he actually got on TikTok before I did now. And I just thought that was the strangest thing ever. But he really enjoyed it. So, you know, being an entrepreneur, and I love marketing. So I started messing around with TikTok to see how this thing works. Yep. And if there's, you know, how can I market on TikTok? Or how can I expand my brand or, or WTA's brand? And now I'm completely addicted to TikTok and I love the short form content. So it's, it's interesting to see how those age demographics will bleed over into different mm-hmm. platforms. And then the younger demographic, the younger age group gets almost a little offended that 
old dad is now watching the same platform that she is. And now a new platform is going to have to come out for that younger demographic. Right? Yep, that's, it seems else. like that's what's been happening. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you heard of Be Real. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I have not heard of that one yet. So, like, it? A, and I'm different, right? Because I coach at the high school and I coach at the middle school. So you're like, all of a sudden kids will start start saying stuff. And you're like, like what is Be Real? And that's a new a new platform that that's coming out. And what it does is it posts a picture it's a self. It, it takes two pictures at one time, right? It takes a selfie picture and the picture out the normal camera of your phone. So when it okay. says be real, right, they're trying to get you in the moment. What's really going on? So it's oh. not a, it's not an Instagram pic that happened in the field that I posted. It's literally, okay, I'm here with a friend and in the background, we're at a basketball game or um, eating. This is the plate of food. This is me like it, it, in the moment. And I was like, I may be old. I'm like, for me, I'm like, man, that's cool because, you know, a lot of the stuff on social media is so touched up and modified and, and like that, yeah. like the be reels back to that, that raw moment of, okay, what are you doing at the moment? And I'm like, for right. me, the first thing I thought of is I'm like, man, I may have to get on that because when I'm in the field mm-hmm. to me, now you can be like, that's the be real moment. Like, what am I doing in a tree stand? And then that's, then there's a deer <laughs> over there on the mountain and there's a storm coming in. Like I looked at that. I'm like, oh man, that would translate well and my daughter's yeah. like dad you can't be on it this is for young kids <laughs> and i'm like just wait just wait it'll come it'll come i know they're protective of their platform but i'm with you i think that would be very cool because uh, you're right a lot of you know instagram or a lot of these social media platforms only show one side of the camera after it's dolled up touched yep. up filtered up but showing both sides of the camera and what's really going on. That's very cool. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah I, I, yeah. I don't know why. I just, I love that concept. Yeah. So, and then, so when you got your stuff on YouTube, how, how did you, I mean, there's a ton of learning curves with YouTube, right? Just like any social yeah. media platform. Like what were some of the early learnings that you went on when you started getting videos on there? Everyone knows Matthews is the leader in archery innovations, and I'm proud to be part of their team. Little did they know I've been part of their team ever since I started pulling a bow back when I was 12. I personally shoot their new Matthews V3X and love it. So go visit MatthewsInc.com and pick out your next bow. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it. 
in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. Oh, uh, yeah. So I don't even think there were, there was no short form content at that point. But it's it was everything was a learning curve. Mm-hmm. You know what the biggest and I'll, here, let me finish your question and I'll tell you what the biggest learning curve was for me. But uh, for YouTube, it was just learning the platform and like how to upload the video, what the consumer was used to watching, and you mm-hmm. you kind of want to cater to that platform on what they're used to, how they're used to seeing it, and what style. Um, but in the beginning, it was just trying to get content up there to to dabble with it and learn as I went. And things are changing so fast that if you're not a practitioner, if you're not using it yourself, you can get left behind pretty quick on these platforms. Mm. But the, the thing that was the biggest learning curve for me was trying to film my own hunts. That was that was huge. So Just much tougher cameras. than what everybody thinks. So much. Oh, tougher. my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So hard. So anybody that films their own hunts and is successful at it, man. They are, they are props to those guys. They're very good. Um, but just learning the cameras, learning what they do, learning how to shoot. And I'm still learning a lot. I'm still pretty, I still consider myself pretty novice at an, an, an amateur um, compared to our team at WTA and, and your guys that film for you. Those guys are great. Um, but that learning curve was tremendous. Yeah. So I started um, kind of this little mini series that, that I've got is homegrown, right? Like I film, I film my own things when I hunt in Michigan. And, and when I came up with this little mini series that that's only on YouTube, it's only, only social stuff is I get a lot of questions of, okay, I see you in Africa. I see you in Asia. I see you in all this stuff. And everybody's like, well, well how'd you start? And I'm like, well, it's not how I started. I started right here in Michigan, right? Same spot. I, mm-hmm. I still live today. I, I still hunt with my daughter. It's the same. I literally, when I started hunting, I hunt out of the same rifle blind that my daughter does right now in Michigan. Yeah, that's cool. But like on when I was in the linear, it was one of those things like I couldn't put a, a deer hunt here in Michigan. Generally, I couldn't put it up there, right? Like I'm trying to grow my brand and I'm going to shoot a 110 inch white tail and guys in Iowa are shooting 160 to 170 inch deer, right? So I, I never did that, but during COVID, obviously limited travel. And it was one of those things I'm like, man, what can I do that's something different? And I'm like, I just through a couple of weeks of just sitting there and thinking, I'm like homegrown. Cause I'm like, this is what I, during COVID, I spent more time back here cause I wasn't on the road traveling. And I'm like, man, I love this. Like I love the setting up of the tree stands. I love to getting the food plots ready. I love spring Turkey mm-hmm. hunting. I love woodcock hunting when the flight's in here. Like, Michigan's got great opportunities. Now it's not out West. You don't have, you don't have elk and mule deer and so forth, but still there's, there's great hunting here. Not necessarily the biggest deer in the world, but, but there's still great hunting. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it and I'm going to self film it even on top of that, which at the time I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Then the first time I went out, I'm like, what the heck am I doing? This is horrendous. This is why I always have somebody with me. This is so bad. Like, it always seems so easy. I'm going to tree stand, hunt whitetails. I just got to hit record, and then, I, then I'm all set. Complete opposite of that. Like, you, it's yeah. so much work that goes into it of detailing yourself as you get to the tree stand. And not only that, now all of a sudden I got a bow in my hand, and the deer is moving, and I'm trying to work the camera, and I'm moving over. And now you're like, the, the multitasking so real, and then his perfect spot. Is the camera going? Is it on? Is it ready? Do I got backup camera on? There's, there's just oh so God. much that yeah. goes into it. But truly, it's one of those times I'm like, I get a lot of comments of you're so real in those moments, right? Like I'm, I'm just self-filming because there's not even anybody standing in the field. And I'm like, and I'll probably never use this. 
And I don't know why I'm trying this, but I'm going to give it a go. And this will probably never see the light of day. And then all of a sudden something works. And all of a sudden you spot and stalk a deer on your, on your driveway or something like that. And it just goes like, yeah, it worked. I, I can't believe it worked yeah. just as much as everybody else. Like, am I showing you yeah. the 38 other times that it didn't work? Not necessarily, but like I give it a try a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, 100%. Uh, and it's, you know, it's hard and it's super hard to try to get a camera on an animal while you're trying to shoot the animal. Because oh. we know hunting itself is just... It's hard to shoot the animal. Exactly. Get the camera on them. Yeah. Now yeah. you got you basically have to shoot it twice, right? Like I'm shooting it with the yeah. camera, and now all of a sudden, even 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 so much on like rifle hunting, like you self filmed your stuff down in Mexico this year, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So so okay, mm-hmm. you're shooting. What were your shot distances? Um, pretty close, hundred yards. So like I look at that, that that's even tougher, right? So now I'm a hundred yards away. And yeah. like, is it, is, were the deer in a group, were they standing or were they bedded? So now all of a sudden, if they're bedded, you know, as a hunter, if I'm, if I'm rifle hunting, there's a bedded deer, my best chance for success is right when that deer stands up, right? Like it's going right. to stretch, it's going to look around, it's going to do these things. But now all of a sudden you're sitting there, you're not in the, in the shoot position. Most of the time you got your camera set up on a tripod that you're in this position. I can't just film this thing bedded for three hours. So I got to make sure everything's right. <laughs> Finally, it stands up. Now you're jingling with the camera. I got the camera right. Now, all of a sudden, I got to lay down. And all of a sudden, oh, shoot, the deer is moving now. Now it's now it's yes. now we're playing catch up. Wait, is it going to stop? I got the gun. I'm moving in the camera at the same time. Like, there's a ton that goes into that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a ton that goes into it. And if you get lucky enough to, like, film the kill shot, then I've had plenty of times where, like, oh, my God, I got the kill shot. That's great. And then I didn't get any B-roll yeah. to like entertain anybody. <laughs> exactly. So now you're like, huh. And it's just, it, no matter what anybody says, it's not the same if you don't capture it the first time. Exactly. It's not yeah. like you can replay in your head. I'm like, okay, what did I do? Did I move over here? Did I, I did this. And it's, it's, it's just not the same. That's why like the guys I have yeah. in the field with me, I'm like, I want to capture it. From the moment I'm stalking up, if it's from behind at a side angle, I would rather have that and then over the shoulder than any of the recreate that you can tell is a recreate. Because, one, I'm not a good actor. I'm not (laughs) going to be the same. I'm not going to be as intense. I'm not going to do any of that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say what I said in the moment. And that's the stuff, like, I want everybody to see. If I'm dropping yeah. F-bomb because I tripped or did something like that, I want people to see it. If, if there's something yeah. about I can't see it in the scope for whatever reason and then you finally can, like that's what I want people to see is that these moments happen all the time in the field. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I think that's the gold. That's the juice Yep, is that real moment that really happens. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, and I made a, a change. So I had guys. I, I would do both. I would do a little uh-huh. self-filming and I'd bring my guys with me and – it was definitely a different style when I had guys with me. I yep. mean, the cinematics looked better. Mm-hmm. The film itself looked really good. But I got to a point where my videographers didn't know hunting very well. So I was doing a lot of babysitting yep. of, you know, hey, don't stand up right now because then you'll scare the animal. Or yep. like you're making sure they're dry and warm. Or So it, it kind of took some of the fun out of it for me um, to try to make a nice film. So I've gone back this year to doing more self-filming where I really enjoy the time that I get alone out in the woods or on a mountain and being able to talk to the camera, almost like it's a a diary or a vlog that I'm doing. It's harder to film for sure, but I'm I'm enjoying it a lot more. Yeah, no, and, and it's more real, right? So those, those, 
diary and, and vlogs, like you're sitting there in a tent or on the side and, and you can be open and honest what you're feeling in that moment. Cause you're not worried about if it's going to get used or not. Right. Right. So just sitting there and I'm going to be open and honest. Then you get back and you start going into the editing part and you're like, man, this is actually really good. I'm happy. I, I happy. I, I let it all spill. Right. Like I spilled my guts there. I'm happy. Yeah. To let the moment go. Yeah. Yep. But you have to remember to film. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And, and yep. you... I get caught up and sometimes I'm like in hunt mode and I forget to film. And sometimes I'm in field mode and I forget to hunt. And... <laughs> it's the balance. Yep, it's the balance. It's the balance. And, you, yeah. and you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said it's t- guys in the field, right? So there's this, mm-hmm. this fine line of, you can fit, you can bring a, a great camera guy in, right? Awesome. You can do anything, but he's not a hunter. So now all yeah. of a sudden you're like sneaking in and all of a sudden he's like, got him. And he just yells it. And you're like, what, <laughs> what is going on? Like who, nobody talks that loud or he ste- or the guy that steps on every branch in the woods that you're walking on. And you're like, and he's dragging yeah. his feet. Cause he's got no idea. He's been able to drag his feet on every job site he's ever been on before in his life. And the, right. and the hot and cold and I'm hungry. And, and you're like, okay, that guy's not a hunter. Then you can go the opposite side. You get the hunter in. And he's filming, but he's more interested in the hunt to where you look over and he's on his binos versus recording. And you're like, well, I went the complete opposite direction. I went too far into the hunting mode. (laughs) It's finding that guy that's that's in the sweet spot that is a hunter, but knows the camera well and knows what he needs to capture on the backside to get the episode. And while still like you're stalking in, he knows exactly because he's a hunter. And he knows what yeah. shots he needs to get for the edit. Like those guys, the, the guys that are the complete package in the, in the outdoor industry are, are rare, right? Like being able to, to find those guys to film and do all that stuff. And one, like yeah. tra- traveling with me, I travel a ton and I travel to some of the remote, remote, nasty, awful spots that nobody else wants to travel to. So it's a right. lot of time on the road, a lot of bad food. A lot of places with, with, I mean, just bad accommodations, like uh, just a lot of bad, right? Right. So for a field producer, they always seem to be younger, right? So it's a lot of time on the road, a lot of traveling. Then they get married. And, and like, as soon as one gets married, I'm always like, mm, countdown's on, right? Now they're going to have a kid. <laughs> and as soon as the kid happens, it's like, I can't travel 130 days anymore. And I get it, right? Like, that's, yep. that's, that's the part of life. So then you kind of look for this next younger guy that can be on the road for 130 days and, and has all the skills. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you hit it spot on and obviously you've got a lot of experience with that, but you're right. Like some, you know, some of the videographers are amazing cinematics. They're amazing what they do, but they're not hunters. And then you go the opposite of the spectrum and then you get a hunter that's good with a camera, but then in the moment he's hunting and not (laughs) filming. (laughs) All of a sudden he's like, he's coming from the right. And you look over and you're like, what are you doing? Get your binos, put them down. You got to be working. (laughs) yeah so those guys are they're gold man when you find a good one they're gold for sure no that's that's stuff um so social media let's take a minute and 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 talk about it. what do you think of the state of social media right now and i'm just going to be specific to the outdoor industry sure oh man like there's a bunch of categories i could go into but social media in general is not going away it's a concept that Mm -hmm. is going to be here and going to be here for a long time. I, there's, we're not getting away from it. Nope. Um, and I think companies have now caught up and understand very well the that they need social media to be a credible business. Um, you know, five to ten years ago, 
companies didn't really understand that. They're like, oh, oh, do we need a Facebook page? Okay, I'll get my niece to do it. You know, she's 16. She understands that <laughs> stuff. Well, <laughs> now they understand this is a big, big part of the business. And if someone doesn't know about your company and they go to look up your company, they might go to your website. They might go to a social media page. But if you want to want to be represented as a legit company, you need to have very good social media pages. And social media can be a great way to, for a lead source. It can, mm -hmm. It's a great way to drive leads. The hunting industry, I think there's a there's a uh, a negative part of social media for the hunting hunting industry, and I think there's a positive. And I think it's which way you want to do. If we're talking about just entrepreneurship and business wise, every hunting company needs social media, and they need to do it very well. Mm -hmm. It's just it just is what it is, and it's not going away, and it's only going to become more prevalent. And if you look at it like this, I believe that first impressions a lot of times are made over social media, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know someone, you hear of someone and you see that person, you don't see that person on social media and you automatically form an impression of them. Who are they based upon what they're putting down? And whether we like it or not, we are also forming an impression based upon how many followers they have on their social media pages. I don't like it. I yeah. think that sucks. But. It is what it is, and it happens subconsciously, right? So hunting companies definitely need it, but I think there could be a bad side to social media too where I've seen this a lot where hunters are nasty with, with each other on hunting forums, on Facebook, even Instagram, mm -hmm. where if something doesn't happen perfectly, God, man, they are – hunters are the are very good at, at just destroying another hunter Ruthless. over social media. Ruthless. Ruthless. Yes. Yeah. So if you're a new hunter in the industry and you go onto a forum and you're watching all these hunters just trash each other out, it's, it really hurts the industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I definitely don't not an advocate of that. I think if you're a hunter and you have somewhat of a following, I think it's your responsibility to not do that, to uh, uplift other hunters, to bring new hunters in the industry and and make them feel welcome. You know, so but, you know, on the positive side of hunting. Um, I think we have a lot of power in numbers. So you look at things that are going on um, all in a lot of states, whether it be banning bear hunting or wolves mm -hmm. reintroduction or the, um, the, the, the Pittman Act with taxes. Like there's a lot of things and there's, there's PETA groups coming after hunting all the time. Well, with social media, we can band together pretty well and easy be able to have power now to stand up for our rights and what we believe in. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many categories, Mark, what do you want to go down? <laughs> and, a lot, and like on that last, on the last one, it's spreading the information, right? So it used to yeah. be okay. A, a group would attack hunting in, in New Jersey or California or something like that. Well, that was just a small, a small problem, right? That's that state's issue. And nobody mm -hmm. could find out about it. Now with social media, everybody finds out right away, right? Like, and then, right. then you get that band together of no, I we need to support this over here, um, which I think is great, right? Like that, and that's all social media. It's not going away ever in my lifetime. I'm, I feel safe to to say that, right? Because it makes the yeah. world easier. I'm not saying better. It makes the world easier. I can connect with people that I normally wouldn't be able to connect with. Right? Right. I can see yeah. things that I normally wouldn't be able to see. But right. you said something, and I never even thought about this. And I don't know when this change happened with me, but when I used to look up a company or an individual or want to find something else, I used to head to my computer and I used to look up for their website. Right. 
I don't know where the change happened because I didn't even realize this change happened until you just said it. I don't do that anymore. I now go to Instagram or Facebook and I try to type their name in and that's how I find them. Right. And I can't, and even, I can't even honestly tell you if from that point, the last couple I've looked up, if I've even clicked to look at their website, it may just be their Instagram page. Right. And I think you can get a real good feel of a company based upon their social media page. Yep. And, and, and whether or not you're consciously doing that or not, or if, if that Facebook or Instagram page is just, it's repetition for you, it's habit uh-huh. and it's right there and you do it quick. But immediately you get a really good feel of the company. And if you want to know more about that company, you'll end up on their website. Yep. Um, and that's the ultimate end of the funnel, right? The website is where, and as a business, you want your consumer to be on your website because that's where you transact mm-hmm. is on website. Mm-hmm. But where you make an impression is social media. And you're, you're spot on too about first impression, right? Like even, mm-hmm. even if you micro that down a little bit more. So on Instagram, if I looked up uh, Cabela's, right? So I look up mm-hmm. Cabela's on Instagram. I'm not going down to the posts that they posted seven months ago. I literally right. just see the stuff that they've done in the last couple of weeks, right? Because I'm only scrolling so 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 far. So that that's first right. that first impression is even more micro of I've seen what they've done the last couple of weeks, and that's how I've I've embraced my impression of them, good right. or bad. But that that's yeah. what I've been trained to do or or learned to do now is go and scroll and be like, yeah, yes or no, right? Right off what you've done yep. the last couple of weeks. Yep. Yeah, and companies are constantly evolving, and you get to see their latest evolution yep. based upon their last ten to fifteen social posts. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. The crazy world. The one I the one I, I will agree with you again on is, uh, man, it's tough to see another hunter bring another hunter down on social media, right? Like, okay, yeah. everybody, what is it? Everybody makes a bad a bad shot. Everybody's done it, right? Every everybody. single person. There's not one hunter that's a hundred percent. You know, I just drilled it every time. Not one time. Right. There's somebody that, you know, they not everybody knows everything. So is it good just to go for a guy that, that does something and he may have did it wrong, right? He's out there learning. Is it good to crucify that guy? Because he didn't know? Right. Yeah. yeah. It just He may not have elk called, right? Guess what? I don't know how to elk call in every situation either, right? Like everybody does yeah. it. Doesn't understand of, of maybe it's the first time he's ever gone on a back backcountry hunt right and he was successful now he's packing something out and he didn't use his pack right and now you've got right. guys commenting of blah 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 right it's his first time right or whatever yeah. give him a break all right everybody's done it they just yeah. let him go and encouraging and the the other one i it's the it's the size game right mm-hmm. how big how often what are you doing yeah. did you shoot something big did you shoot something small well that's too small you didn't let it grow up to be old enough uh, right. you, know, you just shoot big stuff. I'm sure you paid X amount for it, or you probably shot it in a pen or you hear all, you hear it all, right? Like you can't just celebrate yeah. somebody like the dude right. shot a, a, a deer. Guess what? The deer are not the same size in Michigan as they are in Iowa. Just right. Just not right. Just, they're just yeah. plain, not the same size. So if somebody shoots a good deer here, you know what? Even if they shot a, a six point and that was their first deer. Great. Congratulations. There's no reason to drag them down and say, this is ruining the hunting. Cause you shot a six point. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll break this down into major categories here. I think if you are the person out there that likes to nitpick, I'll call it nitpick <laughs> and, and criticize, uh, hunt hunters are how we conserve our way of life of hunting. Mm-hmm. Hunting is conserve is conservation, right? So the more hunters we have, 
the more conservation money we have to preserve our hunting rights and our hunting animals. So we want everyone to hunt. And if by like nitpicking, if you're deterring people from doing that, here's really what's going on. And I got a little bit of a background in psychology. That's where I got my degree and, and almost got a master's in counseling psychology. So I got a little bit of clout to say this is when someone nitpicks or someone criticizes, it's 100% because of insecurities that they have. Mm-hmm. they're insecure with the way that they hunt. So they got to tear everybody else down. So they feel better about themselves. Oh, you shot a young animal way to go. Like you should let that, you should have let that, that grow up or you miss that shot. You need to go back to the range. Well, they wouldn't be doing it if they were secure with who they are as a hunter and understood. Yeah. Everyone makes mistakes. Let me maybe give you some pointers to do something better next time. It comes straight. So for me, like, I get a lot of hate with social media. And Mark, I, I know you probably do too with being out there as much as you do is understanding when someone criticizes you is coming from a place of insecurity and you kind of just feel bad for the person that they spent the time and energy to write, sit down, write a comment of negativity. And that's where they're living. Their life is in that place of negativity and having to tear other people down. So they feel better about themselves. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's a, I mean, that's spot on. Right. Like that's where I just yeah. over over time I just learned to like I can't take every you can't take every comment to heart or you go crazy, right? Oh, you yeah. just keep doing it. Yeah. I and and just be yourself and that's all you can be every day. Yep, absolutely, one hundred percent, man. So you've been you've been able to hunt all over. What are some of the the favorite hunts that you've been on locations you've been able to to go and experience? Um, you know, I've been able to hunt in Canada, Mexico. Uh, Africa, um, you know, Hawaii, it's here in the States, but Hawaii was very cool. Um, my favorite is probably, man, I don't know if I have a favorite. They all kind of had their, they all kind of have their own cool thing. Mm -hmm. Um, like I really enjoyed the culture in Mexico when I was there, you know, I, I hunt with some very authentic guys, authentic Mexican food. And when I'm there, I'm trying to learn Spanish and they're trying to learn English from me better. And it's, it's a fun time. I love, love the culture. Uh, hunting in Canada, I bear hunted in Canada and moose hunting. I love the wild game that's up there. The culture's not that much different in Canada than it is in the States, like Mexico is. Africa culture was amazing. I hunted in Zimbabwe. Oh, it, was, it was amazing yeah. to see the different in culture, I would say that. Um, and, man, the trackers in Africa. I, I was blown away by the trackers. What, what, do, you, do you have the same experience, Mark, with Listen, the trackers what, in Africa? What they can find, as far as a, a speck of blood, a hair, a track yeah. on that rock-hard dirt, it seems like 100 yards away is amazing, right? Just to watch them yeah. work, like, lose a track, they'll find the track again, lose it again, find it again, lose it again, find it again. And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, these guys have been following us for a mile, right? Like yeah. a mile in the middle of nowhere. With nothing, like you're not finding yep. blood splattered on on tree leaves or anything like that. You're like, they're finding just a running track that's separating, and it's hard dirt, so it doesn't even leave a track everywhere. And they're telling you which direction it's going and where it's going. Man, yeah, I was absolutely blown away. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. they'd look at a track and say, "All right, this was a male." And I think at this point, it was, I was hunting sable. It was a male sable that came came by here around four o'clock yesterday afternoon. And I'm like, I don't even see the dang track. Yeah, like, it was four. I mean, it came here, had a little drink, then it took off over here. Yeah. We'll, we'll catch it later. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, that, that is, and truly, I, I've been fortunate enough to hunt all over Africa. It's the same everywhere. 
right? Like they, yeah. that's just how that's their culture. That's how they've grown up. That's what they learn. That's how they survive. That's that. Yeah. That's in my mind. That's the difference. Yeah. So yeah, Africa was very cool. Um, but you know, Hawaii was very cool. Just, just the scenery being on an Island, beautiful Island. Right. I was, we hunted, uh, access deer and some feral sheep and that was very nice but man there's a lot of places i still have yet to travel and adventure to so um and i haven't even been over to alaska yet so that's definitely on top of my bus bucket list i have uh, a trip planned this year for attic island in alaska and you probably why attic island well that was the only place i could find a good caribou hunt well i don't even know if it's good yet a caribou hunt for a DIY caribou hunt that's cheap because everywhere else was booked out for like two years. <laughs> I said caribou are like, here's the crazy thing. 10 years ago, caribou were the cheapest hunt you could go on. And they were all over the place, high success, most of the time two tags. Yeah. And it's dramatically changed now. Like the cost of a, a caribou hunt in Alaska for an outfitted one's almost doubled. Like it, it's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, Quebec, Labrador closing down. Um, let's see what year was that would have been 17 they closed down so i mean that was uh the mass majority of caribou hunts that happened so when they closed down it kind of just the demands there right less less inventory um and i'm a believer that herds go up and down right like same as the grouse here in michigan they're they're it's about a 20-year cycle of going up and down um so you're like i think caribou are probably doing that same thing but if you look we're we're kind of changing their habitat along the way too so they're having to adapt at the same time but still like that caribou one used to be a slam dunk and now it's it's tough to get somebody in on a good caribou yeah and that's that was my experience this year and i hadn't tried over the last three years so i was like man i really want to get to alaska to a caribou hunt um and so as i'm researching i'm like wow everyone's two years out (laughs) Yep. yep yeah no, and you'll like, you'll like ADAC. You'll love Alaska. Like, it, I mean, it, it's the last frontier, right? Like, it's right. that's the reason why. You'll see more green and, and hear the silence there than, than anywhere. When you were in Hawaii, which island did you hunt? I went to Molokai. Okay. I hunted Axis here on Molokai, and then we went to the big island and hunted uh, um, that, like, mouflon, feral sheep, kind of hybrid, and some uh, some goats over there. So I've hunted, I've hunted Hawaii a handful of times and I love it. Right. Like, like if I could retire and just live on Molokai, I would like, yeah. I just, uh, so anybody that's listening, that doesn't know Molokai's the, the Island that's not developed, right. There's no giant hotels there. There are no sky rise buildings. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I think the the sign at the airport, what is, uh, we're excited that you la- excited that you landed or ha- and happier <laughs> that you leave or something like that. Right. Like yeah. they want to keep it that way. Yeah, and absolutely. The first hunt I ever did was on Molokai. I did an access deer hunt there. And then during the Upland Slam that I did, we spent a week on Molokai bird hunting. And that made me love it even more, right? Like it just, the island has everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, I enjoyed not being commercialized on that island, mm-hmm. you know, the culture. And it, it had changed a little. I went back, I've been there twice. Two years ago, I went, loved it. Went back last year and the, the culture changed a little bit. Where I think that sign read, welcome, you know, come spend your money. That's when it. you're done, leave. And this time it was just leave. <laughs> just leave. We've Through COVID, we've had enough people here. Just leave. Yeah, yeah, it changed a little bit, but I'm sure that'll come back around. Yeah. No, that and that's it. And then I've hunted the Big Island multiple times. The Big Island's a hidden gem for anybody that's looking to hunt. 
uh, Maui. Truthfully, like Hawaii is just a hidden gem for hunters. Like you never think it of really it because it's way out there. Now it is a pain to get there, right? But yeah. I look at it as if somebody's wanting to go hunting, you know what? This is a good two for one. Like take your wife, take your significant other family vacation and sneak away for a day or two. Yep. Yeah. There's a great, yeah, it's a great spot to take the wife and family. They get to play on a beach. You go up the hill and do some hunting. Um, absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So besides that, what else do you have planned for this coming year? You know, I've, I haven't really planned a whole lot. Just, um, I don't, and as you know, man, like time away from the family is hard. Um, so I'm, I don't want to put more stress and pressure on, on the family. I've got the attic Island hunt, um, that's booked. And, uh, we've been talking, um, with you about that, uh, the, uh, that Turkey hunt down in, yep. down in Mexico, South Mexico. So that, that'll be one. And then I think I'm going to see what tags I might draw and, um, see if they're right. See if I can't slip away. I'd like to do a bear hunt again this spring. I, I really enjoyed that. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of stick, keeping myself open, making sure I'm taking care of my family, making sure I'm keep taking care of my employer and I'm not traveling there you too go. much. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> and, uh, and seeing how the season turns out. I tell you what, for a guy that likes adventure, you're going to love the oscillated hunt. Just yeah, it, it's, great. it's the, so I tell everybody this, it's the cheaper, it's the cheapest adventure hunt that you can do in the world, Right. Huh. For for twenty five hundred bucks, I can go for a week long hunt in the jungle. For one of the coolest turkeys, right? Like the authentic experience yeah. of how you, how they've hunted them for hundreds and hundreds of years, and yeah. that covers that covers everything. And by the time you get your turkey, now there's a whole bunch of other jungle game that you can hunt, and it's so different, right? You're in the jungle, being a Western guy in Colorado, like you walk outside, how far can you see? Oh, forever, yeah. forever, right? Now you're going to go to the jungle, you'll see eight feet. <laughs> you won't see the sun because of the canopy, right? You'll, there'll be some spots right. that you do, but the majority of the time you can't see the sun or, or anything that goes on because of the canopy. So it's it's all these different things that, that are going into it. Now, I will say you're going to have better than when I've been in there because we made the investment down there to put in air-conditioned tents, which are a game changer. Game changer. Oh, yeah. The first couple times I, the first couple times I went down there, it's, okay, I got I to gotta get into the river bring my body temp down as cold as I possibly can in this river. And now I'm going to hustle to try to get over to my bed and fall asleep before I start sweating again. <laughs> but, but like at, like at the same time, like the, the jungle game, you'll see, you'll see tapers, right? You'll see their Jaguars all around. Like there, there's, there's all this crazy jungle stuff that, that until you get there and experience it, you're like, I don't know if I really want to go. And then everybody that goes is like, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about it. And, and I, and I love that that type of hunt where, uh, you know, like you just had to jump in the river to cool, like that type of stuff is just, uh, I don't know. I'm just freaked a little bit that way. I love mm -hmm. it. That type of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yep. Now I did. Um, I brought my bow down the third time I went, I think. And I mm -hmm. shot, I shot my oscillated with my bow. So oh. and, if I, and if I'm in complete honesty, my arrow may have hit six to 12 branches on the way to that Turkey. Right. Like it's so oh thick. God. Like I just, I just remember I'm like 22 yards away. It's there. I pull back on it and I just let that go. And it was like a ping pong. Ding, 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 ding. And somehow it hit the turkey in the head. And I'm like, I have no idea how that happened. And I didn't see all, everything that was in the way. I'm like, that's it. I am. That is awesome. And it, the guy's like, we've never had anybody be successful down here with their bow before. And I'm like, 
Listen, I just got completely lucky because you can't see it in the video, but all I remember in my head is watching that arrow, I swear, bounced off every single branch in 22 <laughs> yards, just clear swaths, and somehow it hit the turkey in the head. That is awesome. Yeah. Just ping pong its way. Just ding, 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 ding. Well, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll have to bring my bow down if there's an opportunity. Oh, yeah, you can yeah, bring the bow, and then they've got the shotguns in camp. You can... You can definitely go out. Sergio will take care of you down there. That's very cool, man. Yep. Well, I'm excited about that trip for that'll, sure. That'll be a good one. Well, perfect, man. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, Mark. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, look forward. And after after that trip, what we'll have to do is when you're back, because I love I love people that have gone down there, their first impressions of after they've seen it to get back. Because I think people are mm-hmm. like, ah, Mark's just talking about it again because he's been there six or seven times or whatever. And I'm like, listen, I love it, right? Like, it's completely different. You're going to be in Campeche. You're going to have great seafood. Like, the town of Campeche City is awesome. Like, safe, like safe, colorful, like, right on the coast, awesome food. Like, I can't stress the food enough. Great people. And then you go in the jungle, hunt that. You get to come back again. Like, the whole thing's just an awesome experience. Yeah, man, it sounds a blast. Yeah. And I love just experiencing different types of hunts and culture anyway, so I think I'm going to love it. Yep. No, you will for sure. Well, perfect. Have a good day. All right, Mark. Have a good day, man. Yep. Thank you, everyone out there, for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247. Thank you.